morning. Definitely a privilege to be here this morning. Elvin called me the other day. He asked if uh, I would come preach. I said, yeah, but I got a problem. I said, I didn't bring any church clothes. And uh, he said, I don't think anybody care. He said, you can hide behind the pulpit. I was expecting a little bigger pulpit. <laughs> so, it's a privilege to be here again today. Um, <clears throat> I might have shared this last time, but it's like you come in here, it feels like a haven. And feel the presence of the Lord. I found in life, in my own life, and also dealing with people, True healing happens at acceptance, and accepting people for who who they are. And uh, I felt that walking in here this morning. I want to bless you in that. Um, some of you may not know me. I'm Scott Hosteller. I'm from South Carolina, and uh, Elvin would be a first cousin of Ben. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> we we came up to deer hunt, and. Uh, so uh, definitely good to be here. Some of you may know some of my family, Sam Hostetler, and uh, I have a brother, Gene, that lives here. So, um, yeah, definitely good to be here. I got to know Elvin, oh, uh, one probably 20-some years ago. Yeah, so Lord made a difference. And uh, <clears throat> definitely good to be here today. Uh, the... Where the Lord led me this morning was in sonship. And what does it mean to be a son? And I want to look at that <clears throat> this morning. Um, we were talking about the passage this morning. I want to say this, too. I was blessed with the song service and, and uh, also the Sunday school. We are talking about healing. Um, last weekend... Um, we had a funeral at our church and uh, buried one of my best friends. And uh, he was, uh, in my eyes, a spiritual giant. And I looked to him for sometimes uh, sometimes direction. Uh, he'd have been in his early 60s, but he started battling cancer uh, two years ago. And his wife had passed away before that. She was 58. And uh, after the funeral, it was very unexpected, his wife passed. Um, I think six, nine months later, he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, <clears throat> we had an uh, anointing service, prayed over him, there was a lot of tears. And uh, it was interesting, I'd stand up in front of our congregation after that, look out across the room. And the guy that seemed the happiest and at peace and had joy was the guy that had lost his wife and was dying of cancer. And <clears throat> I know he had his times. I know there was times that he may have had faith crises. But um, here about six months ago, 
it seemed like the Lord was healing him. But he went on a he went on a camping trip by himself. After that trip, he called me. And he said, "Can you preach the message at my funeral?" This is a week ago that this happened. And he said, I want you to preach on sonship and what it means to be a son. I was real close to him, and I watched him go from here to heaven. But one thing I found, and, you know, some churches, their calling is to help people walk the last mile. And that is a calling that our church would have. And we have a lot of older people. And we've had quite a few funerals. But what I, what I seen there again was his security was in the scarred hand. And that scarred hand reached down. And there was no gulf between this life and the next. Like he passed it with joy. And that was a blessing. And in life, our faith needs to be in that hand, um, whatever he has for us. And, uh, but anyhow, I preached something along this line on the message here a week ago. So this is what the Lord had laid on my heart this morning, is to, is to uh, preach on sonship. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 15. I want to look at the prodigal son. <clears throat> Luke 15, verse 11. I'm going to use that as an outline, Luke 15, but I'll be going to a few different chapters, but we'll come back to that. Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey to a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. Here we see in the first three verses that God give man a choice. And we all have a choice. We're free moral agents. And we see that this father is just talking about our Heavenly Father as well. He's talking about when the son came to his father and said, give me my inheritance. The father knew exactly the direction he was going to go. But God gave man a choice. And we all have that choice. And, uh, you know, I have to think in the Garden of Eden, God put a tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. He could have made a perfect garden to where it was a perfect garden, but where man could not fall. But the key in relationship is simply this, that man has a choice to follow God. And... Uh, <clears throat> We'll all, again, give an account for that choice. But here we see 
that the Father does release people. Um, you know, I was talking to an uh, older lady the other week, and she was dealing with unforgiveness. And she said, I can't forgive. It's too much. And I said, you know, this is a choice that you have. And you'll live and die with that choice. I said, I can't make the choice for you. But you're going to have to choose what direction you want to go with this. And again, that's who we are as people. We've been given that choice. And the Lord actually, I believe this, he respects that choice within us. And we have to respect that choice in people we meet. Um, it's, you know, sometimes, I know years back, when I would give an altar call, it was like use leverage, you know, use guilt, use fear. And you've all probably heard it, threaten people with hell, and say this may be the last time and all this. But, you know, the Lord showed me something. He said, man has a choice. I respect that choice. You need to as well. And uh, I think that's a powerful concept, but it's also something that we need to acknowledge in our own life, that we are given the freedom of choice. And we make our life what it is. I think uh, choice is the direction that takes our life. We can't blame other people. We have to look at ourselves. I think this was the reason why I'm talking about this, this lady and I, I did tell her this. I said, you may not know how to live without a crutch. You may not know how to live without blaming someone else. But I said, because of what Christ done on the cross, like, we have to own it. Again, free moral agents, we have choice. And that's, that's something the Father does honor within us. <clears throat> Verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. You know, we've all seen people that have spent all. This isn't just talking financially. This is talking emotionally. This is talking spiritually. This is also talking physically. Sin will take people a lot farther than what they expect. It will spend all. You know that little secret sometimes that we can, as people do, that no one else knows about, that's like having a lion in the closet. It will destroy. There was a young man I went hunting with some years ago, and we were sitting around the fire, and I seen he was a little older than the rest of them. I seen some of the younger ones looked up to him. But uh, he reached in his back pocket and pulled out some tobacco. And he had some addictions in his life. And kind of came across kind of like a cool cat, you know. And people play with alcohol, some addictions probably 10 years ago. This is probably 30 years ago, but 10 years ago, I was preaching <clears throat> at a homeless shelter. And, uh, yeah, this is a guy that, yeah, would have been, you know, from our circles. And there was an overcomer's program within 
this homeless shelter. I looked at a guy that was there and he resembled the guy that I used to know, the cool cat that acted Mr. Cool. He had lost, he might have weighed 100 pounds, had sweatpants on, and it fit the term spend all, and it was him. There he was, crying, emotionally shot. Everything in life was a disaster, even affected his brain. When we play with sin, it will destroy. That's a promise we have in Scripture. Um, sin is not nothing to play with. It will devastate and destroy. And uh, fortunately, he found the Lord. And uh, he lives probably three miles down the road from us now. Again, um, to recover from what he went through um, in this world, he, I don't know, just even a mental state, I don't know if he can. But his dad built him a little shack, and he's living in it. And uh, I believe he's a, he's a follower of Jesus Christ. But again, that's what it means to spend all. Verse, uh, verse 14, let me read that again. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to the citizens of that country, and he sent, he sent him into his field to feed swine. Verse 16, and he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Here we see that what he's saying here is when he slopped the hogs, his pay was to get on his hands and knees and he could eat all the slop he wanted. He could, uh, that was his pay. No more pay, just eat slop. And, uh, you know, that's what sin will do. It'll take us to a place where we'll eat slop. Nothing to mess with. You know, there was, a, there was a man that I ran into some years ago in prison. And uh, he was a super nice guy. He was probably 20, he was at the time, he was 27. And he said this. He said, when I was 16 years old, he said, I went to a party. He said, I've never drank much before. But he said, uh, I started drinking some alcohol. He said, on the way home, he said, uh, I swerved and hit a car and killed a family. He said, I grew up in prison. Very put together young man. And he said, I even learned to shave in prison. He says, he's not sure when he'll get out, if he ever will. Again, slop will take us to a place that uh, will destroy you know, one thing I'm finding is churches in some ways that uh, it's easy to make slop okay. But let me tell you this, it's not okay. That stuff's not okay. It's against Christ and what he teaches to have addictions, have things like that. 
It's interesting, this young man also, you know, he could have blamed people. He could have blamed, said, you know, my dad, he allows himself to drink. That's why I drank. And that's often what happens. But, you know, he took the responsibility. But again, in this world, if he ever does come out, he has a record. But at least he's found freedom in Christ. He's born again. But again, slop. Not a place that we want to go. Not a place we want to eat. Verse 17. Okay, now we see the prodigal waking up. And again, he had spent all. He was eating slop. And he was in a position that was very uh, unhealthy. Verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I want you to look at the prodigal here. The prodigal um, didn't change his heart. It was still about himself. It was about what can I get out of this relationship. Again, he wanted food. He was hungry. And he realized that the road that he was living will bring destruction. It'll take the clothes off our back. It'll take us to a place that we're emotionally destroyed, spiritually destroyed, and physically destroyed. He came to the place and said, you know, if I at least go home, Maybe I'll have enough food to eat. Again, he had no, no desire to change his heart. But this, he started thinking about home. <clears throat> Again, let me read that. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Then verse 18, he was thinking to himself. He said, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as a hired servant. I want to look at verse 19. Let me read that again. Am no more worthy to be called thy son. He looked at his past. And he looked what he had done. He looked at he had spent his father's inheritance. He looked at where he took himself emotionally and physically. And he seen the guilt of the past. And you know, I want to tell each one of us here today that we are all guilty. We are born guilty. We are guilty. We need a Savior. But he looked back, and when he looked back, he's seen all this guilt. And he said, I'm no more worthy to be called a son. Make me as a hired servant. I want to look at the hired servant today. I believe, there are, I believe, and, I, and the, the scripture will back this up, and I'll show this a little later. There are a lot of people that live the, the hired servant. These are people that are works-based. They base their salvation on what they can do, not on who they are in Christ. These hired servants, what they do is they compare. They become judges. They compare themselves with others and say, I'm least not that way. That's what a hired servant will do. Also, they have a deep need with themselves to talk down on other people. It's not about helping people. It's knowing their position. They want to be up above. 
So a lot of times they have negative talk. And again, what motivates them is fear. They fear rejection. They fear hell. And they function out of fear. Fear is a very strong motivator. But it's a false motivator. It's not good. Fear, again, is not from God. He said, I've not given you a spirit of fear. That's a spirit. But of love and of power and of a sound mind. But again, a hired servant is about being fear-based. And they're also guilt-based. They're motivated out of guilt of the past. In Matthew 7, 22 and 23, it says this, Many will say in that day. You know, what stood out to me is the word many. This is, this, is, this is Christ speaking. Many will say in that day, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? That sounds like good stuff. Casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Have we not prophesied in your name? Preached in the name of Jesus. Sounds, sounds good. And in your name, have we not done many marvelous and wonderful works? Their life was based on what they could do. Again, they acknowledged who Jesus was, but they were a hired servant. Jesus responds this way, Depart from me, ye that work, iniquity. Again, we need to realize that the position of a hired servant is a wrong position. It's not where Christ intended us to be. Another thing I will say is this, the greatest competition to Christ and his kingdom is the hired servant, is religion. That is the greatest, not drugs, alcohol, all these other sexual immorality. No. The enemy hits with the hired servant. And that's why we're warned about the hired servant. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, it simply says having a form of godliness. They have a form down, but they have absolutely no power. Denying the power thereof. Um, well, simply what that means is this. They don't have the, when we look at the Christian life, what gives us the power is simply the power of love. That ride, that, that's the most power that a Christian can have is the unconditional love. They don't have that love. Also, the other thing that it's speaking of is they don't have the power to live above sin. The hired servants are the ones that simply say, you know, did God really mean this when he said it? We live in a different age. You know, is hell really real? That type of thing. Also, a hired servant cannot and will not forgive. They have to have an excuse for how they live. So they live in unforgiveness. But here's, here's the issue. When we come to the judgment seat of Christ, each one of us, when we see the scars in our Savior's hands, 
when we see the scars on his back and we see the scars on his face, on his uh, feet, we will simply say this. We'll, we won't say, but you don't know what happened to me. What Christ did on the cross was enough. What Christ did on the cross was for my sin, but it was also for the person that hurt me. That's where true forgiveness lies, is Christ paid the penalty for both ways. It's impossible to go to the cross with my sin and say, please forgive me, but I'm going to hold someone else hostage. We can't do that. What Christ, when we accept forgiveness from Christ, it has to be both ways. What people did to us and also what we did. That's where true freedom lies. But again, the hired servant wants to earn his way in. And uh, <clears throat> we, we'll see later that we can't do that. Also, you know, I had to think um, a hired servant wants to be needed. They want to be needed. In Christ's kingdom, I want us to get this. We're not needed. There's no one here that's needed. There's a difference. We are wanted. If Christ wants to do something, he can do it with a tree. God is full in who he is. He chooses to use us, but he wants us. You know, if I had asked somebody here if they need their children, I hope you say I don't, but we want them. If some of you have employees, and I ask the question, do you need your employees? You'll probably say, yeah, to keep the business going. That's the difference. Children are wanted. And when we're a son, when we're a child, we are wanted, not needed. Again, I wanted to spend a little time on the hired servant, but I also want to go to a son. But first of all, I want to look at the father. Verse 19, let me read that over again. Um, Am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servant. And, uh, you know, the brother shared this morning about guilt of the past, leaving it go. And that was such a blessing. That is so true. Um, we're all guilty. You know, we can compare, but in Christ's eyes, sin is sin. And we have to leave it there. And sometimes some sin seems to carry more weight, but in the Lord's eyes, it's the same. And we have to accept that we are sinners, that we need a Savior. I want to look at the Father this morning, what the Father did. You know, picture, picture this... Uh, young man coming home. Picture him walking down a dirt road, maybe. Picture him walking to the family, whatever it was, plantation, farm, ranch. And picture a guy maybe with a staff, tattered clothes. We've all seen people that have spent all. Picture that in your mind. And let's see what the father did. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, 
His father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I want you to look at this. I want you to see this, that the father was watching and waiting. Yeah, he gave the son a choice. But his prayer was that he return home. And that's the prayer for each one of us here today, that he wants us, again, if we've not accepted Jesus, he wants us to return home. That's the prayer that the Father has for all the world, that he wants them to come home. I want to ask the question, who is the Father? How did he run our way? In Isaiah 9, 6, there's a prophecy. It's simply this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When Jesus came to earth to... Jews were waiting for Emmanuel. God is with us. They could not receive him simply because they looked at him and said, that Joseph's son, that doesn't look like God with us. That's who Jesus is. Emmanuel, God with us. 100% man and 100% God. Colossians 2. I'm going to come back to uh, Luke, but let me turn to Colossians 2. There's one verse, two verses I want to read. Let me read verse 8. It says, beware. When the Bible says beware, it's a good, good idea to beware. Lest any man spoil you through philosophy. In other words, through debate, knowledge, and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiment of the world, and not after Christ. Verse 9, I wanted to get this. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is who Jesus is. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And it's important to understand this simply because we have to understand who the Father is. Um, I believe it was John 14 when, uh, <clears throat> was it Thomas? Was Philip said, show us the Father. And it's sufficient to us. It says, show, show us who he is. Jesus told the statement, and again, he said this. Have I been so long with you, and have thou not known me? Yes, Philip. Philip, he who hath seen me hath seen the Father. Again, there's a lot of people out there that try to comprehend who God is. If we can comprehend him, we become, we put ourselves in a position that we are greater than him. We have to understand what the Bible says and use that as a foundation. We have to understand that we are created beings from God. We can't understand him. But again, this is who the Father is. And I found this to be true. I have found each belief system, each religion, at the base of it, 
is where they put Christ. For instance, I deal with a lot of Muslims. Also, people that don't believe in a Messiah. They believe they have to sacrifice. There has to be shed blood. Then there's some people that believe in a Savior, that he is a Savior, and that's true. But they don't see him as Lord and Savior. What they do is they accept him for their sins, and then they have a works-based to try to complete what the Lord wants to do in their life. I believe these people are born again. But over here, that works. I believe in life they will choose this. Because of something they can trust in and not have to have faith. Like in our eyes, we like to trust in something we can see. So we gravitate always towards what we can see. Then there is the true born-again believer that has the new heart. And that believer sees Jesus as Lord and Savior. He is all power. He's omnipotent. He is the creator of the universe. He is the fullness of the Godhead. And it's the one that we give an account to. The Father came our way. He came to earth, took on flesh in the form of man. God is a spirit, took on flesh in the form of a man. And showed us how to live. And not only showed us how to live, but went to the cross and shed the blood of the begotten, the flesh. He said, I have the power, he said, to lay my life down, and I have the power to raise it up again. If you would, turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 26. Verse 36. I want to look how he came our way. This is him running our way. Then cometh Jesus, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And he said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my father, it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep and and saith unto Peter, what, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and praise, ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it. Thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. As we see Matthew 25, we see simply that Christ 
before he went on the cross, prayed three times. If it be possible, let this cup pass. What he was saying is simply this, if there's another way. If there's any other way that we can do this without me going on the cross, we'll do it. If people can earn their way into heaven, let's do it. If, people, if there's another way. But you know, it came simply down. There was no other way. When Christ went on the cross, you know, it wasn't the beating that he feared. The beating that tore him to shreds. They tied a man across the pole, tied his hands to his feet, and they would lay a person wide open. They said often when they went, if they would live and stand up, they would have to hold their bowels in with their hands. This is what he went through for us. And again, he went to the cross, and there was a horrible form of persecution. When they nailed him on the cross, they put a person in a place that when they were weak from the beating, they would actually suffocate. They would die because they'd hang on their arms and choke the life out of them. And you know, with those dying breaths, he looked at the crowd that was in front of him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, this is our King and our Savior. But it's interesting, I don't believe it was that that he didn't want to do. That he said, if there's no other way. Do you know the feeling of guilt and shame that sin does bring? He simply said this, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. When he looked into that cup, he saw the shame and the guilt and the fear that comes from being a sinner. See, what he did, he took that sin on himself. He felt the pain, the shame, and the guilt that was meant for you and me. He took it all on himself and faced a punishment. That was yours and mine. We have this beautiful word. That the Christian knows as grace. You know I, when I understood grace. I grasped a little bit. What it means to be born again. Just a little bit. I heard a guy one time say. There was a bad judge. And that judge sentenced a man to 20 years in prison. He said he had 20 pennies in his hand. And he said, all the ones you catch, he said, I'll take that many years off your sentence. You catch five, I'll take five years off. And he said, the judge laughed and threw him over his shoulder. We see that as a bad judge. Then I've heard of judges that looked at a crime that was committed and said, you deserve 20 years, but I'm going to give you 10. That's what we look at as mercy. And a lot of people live their life like they still have 10 years of hard work. Then I want to look at grace. What is grace? Grace is when a judge looks at someone and said, you deserve the death penalty. You deserve the electric chair. What you've committed is wrong, and you need the death penalty. But this is what will happen. I will take your place, and you go free. That is grace. And not only go free, but I'm going to give you the good things of life. I will give you love. I'll give you joy. I'll heal your relationships sometimes. 
I'll give you the good things of life. I will bless you. And I'll make your life. And I'll even bring you home to be with me for eternity. That is grace. When Christ, his last words before he died on the cross was simply this. He said, it is finished. It is done. There's no more to add. And that's what he meant. When we try to do it on our own strength, we say, Christ, what you did on the cross is not enough. What you did for me is not enough. The blood you shed for my sin is not enough. I'll work my way in. And again, that is a hired servant. And they become the greatest competition to Christ and his kingdom. What is a son? In verse 24, I want to skip ahead. I don't know how long you guys go here. But uh, Luke, Luke, uh, Luke 15, verse 24, I want to read a verse. Verse 24, he said, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They begin to be merry. He said, The father says, I want you to be a son. I want you to belong. I want you to be adopted. I want you to give, I want to give you a new day. I want you to be. Take on my identity. And you know the main thing that Christ do, does for us when we accept sonship is he gives us a new heart. You know it's easy to try to dress that old heart up. It's easy to try to cover our shame. That's the first thing man did when they sinned. Is they tried to do it on their own strength. They sewed fig leaves together. Man is still trying to do that today in a lot of ways. They're trying to cover their guilt and their shame. And they're trying to dress up an old heart and make it new. The only way that we'll ever change is not from the outside in. It is simply from the heart out. The Bible says he will give us a new heart. He said, I'll write my laws in your heart. And your sins and iniquity I will remember against you. No more. It's done. It's over. It's a day of being born again. You know, it's interesting when we're born again. We think of being born. He told Nicodemus he must be born again. When we look at being born, we think of a baby that has issues. We think of a baby that cries. We think of a baby that needs to learn to walk. We think of a baby that needs to be taken care of. That's how we are when we're born again. It's simply we need to be cared for and we need to look out for others. But also, when people accept Christ and they're born again, we need to take care of them. We need to raise them up. We need to help them. Help them along on their journey. You know, I, five years ago, I would disagreed with myself in a lot of ways. The Lord has a way to keep us on a path that brings freedom. And again, we need to let people have that position. Born again. 
But again, the focus this morning is a son has a new heart. And you know, when I go home to my family, my dad and my mom, I'll go into the refrigerator and open it because I belong. The hired servant doesn't do that. Also, I belong. I don't have to compete anymore. I don't have to run other people down to make myself look good because I belong. Again, that's what Christ is offering is simply sonship, being accepted at that level. And he says who the son will make free is free indeed. Again, we are empowered then by love, his love that knows no boundaries. His love will make us do things we never expected that we would do. His love will make us get up in front of a group of people and talk. I used to be scared to death to talk. But it's the power of love that will make us do things that we never thought we could. In closing, I want to tell a story about a man by the name of George Wilson. In the mid-1800s, he he robbed a uh, mail carrier, him and another guy, and they were sentenced to be hung. There, his family went to Andrew Jackson at the time, this is a true story, and begged Andrew Jackson for a pardon. A pardon is simply you can go free. Andrew Jackson gave him that pardon. And they walked back and they met George in prison and laid a pardon down in front of him and said, you can go free. He was too, repo- too proud to receive it. He didn't want it. A pardon has two points. It's the giver and the receiver. The pardon is open today. We can be like George Wilson and say, I'm going to reject it because I want the death penalty. We would say, that guy ain't thinking right. But you know, there's a lot of people that come to a place where Christ is calling and said, I want you to be a son. And they'll look at that pardon and say, I'm going to reject it. Again, I want to go back to one thing. When I started the message, I said men are created with a free, as free moral agents. I am. We'll give an account simply for our choice. We'll give an account of what we do with our choice when God is calling. And I want to say this this morning. I think Elvin shared this in Sunday school. When Christ sees a need, he responds. You know, when he was on earth, and still today, when someone says help, he looks. That's all it takes. I need you. I'm tired of doing it in my own way. I need you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for grace. Lord, we thank you that you cover all our sins and you remember our iniquities no more. We thank you for your love and your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for being a loving father, even to the point that you call us and you want us. Lord, we want to surrender our hearts to you in every way.
Lord, just thank you for the new heart. Thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.